Good morning. It's great to be in front of you again to preach two weeks in a row from Joshua. It's actually a first for me. Even at our last church when I when we moved from Minnesota, I was starting to preach the book of Joshua. I only get to preach like once or so a month. And uh, it's nice to be able to go from one chapter to the next the next Sunday. So I may, may step in and say, no, <laughs> I get to do it again. But now we'll let Maggie back to Luke next week. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> so I, I just, uh, what does it mean to, to call something home? Do you, do you know this feeling, I don't know if you do, that this feeling of rootlessness? Um, Audrey and I do. We, we moved away from Danville and... Well, she moved away in 95, and I moved away in 96. And we lived around the Midwest for almost you know, a little over 20 years. And, and in the beginning, it was kind of fun. <laughs> um, I mean, we were young and in love and living on love, like the song said. But um, we had each other, right? And that's all that mattered. But, you know, the first time we moved to Minnesota, we had no one. I mean, I knew no one there. And... Um, we had no family for sure, but we made friends. We made friends with the people in the church and, and, and our closest connections there were brothers and sisters in Christ and the church. But all around us, our friends though there in every place we've lived, whether it was Kentucky or Wisconsin or Minnesota, they had something I didn't have. They had these roots that go deep. And when there were hard times, they could just lean on family. They could go home to the home they grew up in. They had that rootedness that we didn't have. Um, and it was sometimes lonely. But um, sure, you know, home was our heart where our heart was, like they say. It was wherever our people were that we were connected to. But they just had that sense of rootedness that we didn't. Um, if I could describe what we were for those over 20 years, we were sojourners. We would just be where God would put us, and we would minister and serve those people without a permanent place. And the passage we're going to look at today is about a whole group of people that that was their, their same feeling for life, forever. That was their calling. And they, like I had to learn, had to see that God would always provide for their needs by providing him, them himself. God would always provide for their needs by providing himself. He would be their portion. So let's pray, and then we'll look into this, this passage. God, I... Thank you for being our portion, our inheritance. You could take away everything we have on this earth, our health, our stuff, our families. But if you gave us yourself, it would be enough. As we look at this passage this morning, would you help us to see that you are our portion, you are our inheritance, you are our everything. 
and that you will always provide for our truest and deepest needs. I pray for your spirit to help me and to help my brothers and sisters in Christ here, hearing that you would open our ears to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're in Joshua 21. Last week we were in Joshua 20. This is cool. <laughs> you don't get as excited about it as I do, but it's pretty, it's fun because normally I don't, I have to, when I start a chapter in Joshua, I got to give you a lot of context to explain where we came from. Unfortunately, I actually still got to do that again today <laughs> because you're not going to be able to understand Joshua 21 unless I explain a lot because I could jump right into 21. You, if you were here last week, it doesn't inform much of what's in 21. So we're going to have to take a step back in the Old Testament. We're going to look at two contexts first. We're going to look at the context of who these Levites were. What, what is that all about? What, who are they? And then we're going to look at the context real quickly leading up to chapter 21. And then we'll jump into chapter 21. As I studied this passage, I, I was having a hard time putting it together like a sermon. You're going to feel like the first 10 minutes of this is just teaching and information. And sometimes we need that. In fact, I think it will inform you so you help so you understand and grasp chapter 21. So let's look first at the context of the Levites. As when we get into 21, you're going to hear about these Levites. Who are they? So you know Abraham. You've heard Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had the son, Jacob. Jacob then had 12 sons. And two of those sons were named Simeon and Levi, okay? Simeon and Levi, in Genesis 34, is a story that's awful. I'm not even going to put the text on there because it's, we have young children in the room. But what happened was, is their sister was violated horribly. And then Simeon and Levi, in their vengeance, went and killed every male in the town of belonging to the one person that violated their sister. They went and killed every single male and then plundered all the stuff. That's the lovely story you read in Genesis 34 about Simeon and Levi. They were very, very violent. If you just think about last week's sermon when we looked at Joshua 20, it was the cities of refuge. And do you remember what the cities of refuge were for? They were for protecting the person who accidentally killed somebody because the avenger of blood would come after them. They were the avenger of blood. But they did it in a way that God had not endorsed. It wasn't like they just simply went and commenced retribution. They went and just off the hook, off the hook. Now, you have that story. Then what happens from there? Jacob, remember the brothers later sell Joseph off into slavery? He goes down to Egypt. There's a famine. And the whole family moves to Egypt, right? They move to Egypt. And there near the end, there a little bit after arriving in Egypt, Jacob is almost about ready to die. And on his deathbed, in Genesis 49, you read a really interesting account where Jacob 
prophesies. The Spirit of God speaks through Jacob and makes a whole bunch of prophecies about each of the tribes of Israel, each of his 12 sons. And this is what he says about his sons, Simeon and Levi. Genesis 49, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel, or my, oh my glory be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And look at this. This is the Lord speaking through Jacob, because he says, I will. And it can't be Jacob himself speaking on his own behalf. He says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So Jacob makes a prophecy about Simeon and Levi that they're going to be scattered throughout Israel, that they would not receive a whole bunch of blessings like the other tribes would. Okay, hold that in your thoughts. Just remember that. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. So after he makes that prophecy, he dies, and their family tree grows while they're in Egypt. So let me just walk through that a little bit. So we said Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Jacob had Levi plus 11 other uh, sons. Levi then has three sons. Levi's three sons, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. All right? Levi's got three sons. Kohath then has four sons. This is going to matter, okay? So just hang on. Kohath has four sons. Those guys right there. Amram, the first of those sons, has three people you know. Amram has Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, okay? Interestingly, if you think about it, Abraham is Moses' great-great-grandfather. Not very far removed, is he? From Abraham. Maybe I got that right, Jacob. But they're close. You see the point. Amram has three sons, Aaron, Moses, and, well, three children. Aaron then has four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. From Kohath all the way down, those people grow up in Egypt, and they witness Moses coming along and leading the people out of Israel by the power of God. We know that story, the ten plagues, the Passover. Then they come into the wilderness, the Red Sea split. Those people highlighted in yellow, at least from Amran, maybe even Kohath, witnessed all of that. They saw all of that. They saw God move in miraculous ways and protect them. And then you get to... They're in the wilderness. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've seen water turned, not bitter. And then they get to Sinai. And then you get this story. Moses goes up on the mountain, right? Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's hearing from God. God speaks to him and gives him his, their law. And what's going on while Moses is receiving the law from God? There's an orgy going on down below. There is, they literally made an idol out of gold, a calf. And that calf, it wasn't an accident that they did a calf. I don't know if you know this, 
But the Canaanite gods, the Canaanite god El, E-L, was a calf. That was the symbol. And they were worshiping who they thought must have just brought them through the Red Sea. And Yahweh, God, and Moses are righteously angry. He gives them all of that, and then he comes, and Moses witnesses it, and he's righteously angry. And watch what happens. Exodus 32, 25 to 28. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, that's talking about the whole mess going on down below. For Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Just picture that in your mind. Awful stuff going on. Moses just spent 40 days with God, hearing the holiness of God revealed in the law, comes down in its utter depravity. And he, he just, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of who? Levi. What are, what are Levi like? They are. Cursed be their anger, it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. What do they do? Thus all the, they, and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you. He's talking to Levi, tribe of the, all those guys that you saw, the ones highlighted in yellow. Go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Interesting, isn't it? What's different about this story than when they went and took vengeance for their sister, well, what's the one difference? Well, Simeon was involved. There is more than one difference, <laughs> I guess. The key difference God told them to do this through Moses. He did not tell them to go carry out vengeance on the whole village of Shechem. He said, you need to do this. This must stop. And they did it. They obeyed. And what's really amazing is what the result was after that. Verse 29, and Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing on you, Levi, your tribe, all the brothers, on this day. The result is that God made them priests and ministers to God because of that. They're first cursed because they disobeyed completely, and then they fought for the holiness of God, and God blessed them with this thing that we're going to read about, priests and ministers. They were going to become the ones to help the rest of Israel worship rightly before their God. It started with Sinai, and God says, because you've done this, I'm going to bless you to be the ones who will help my people worship God. What a fitting reward for helping a 
the blessing of getting to help the people stay on the right track. Levites, as we will see, priests and ministers will help the people stay on the right track. Now, of the tribe of Levi, we saw that there were four sons. Uh, there were three sons, Kohath, uh, Gershon, and Merari. Of the signs of Kohath, remember, Aaron came through them. So, first of all, you have the sons of Kohath that were not sons of Aaron. We go back to that tree, family tree. There's a group of them that don't come from Aaron. They come through Kohath, though. Their job as Levites was to guard the Ark of the Covenant, to carry the Ark of the Covenant, to care for the furniture used in the tabernacle, and to care for all the vessels used for worship. The sons of Gershon, their job was to take care of the curtains, the coverings, and the screens used in the tabernacle. Ladies, you're seeing on Thursday night the tabernacle study that Teresa's been showing, the fabrics put over that, the screens, the curtains, the sons of Gershon, that's their job as ministers. Sons of Kohath that are not ironic, that's their job as ministers. And by minister, I mean they serve the people in this way. And then the sons of Merari, their whole job is to help put the tabernacle together. So when they would move from one place to another, the sons of Merari would take the posts, all the structure. Their job is that. That's how they would minister. So you have one group left of the tribe of Levi, sons of Kohath that actually come from Aaron. And it says in Exodus 28, verses 40 through 43, what their job would do. Different than those other three. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. I love that. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Now, he didn't use that to describe those guys there. He just used it to describe the sons of Aaron. But they're all considered Levites because they're all from the tribe of Levi. And all of these are involved in the worship of the Lord, but have very different jobs. The sons of Aaron serve as priests. And notice how long this is supposed to last. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. Okay, interesting. These are the priests. Now they all... Sons of Aaron and all these guys have a common responsibility as well. They have those responsibilities, and the sons of Aaron have priestly duties. So that would be what's missing. I have all these things. What do you think the priests would do then? Thane, what do you think the priests would do that's not one of those things? Altars? What do they do with the altar? Animals, they would offer the sacrifices. They would take the sacrifices. They would put them on the altar. They would, once a year, one of them would is a, a high priest, not once a year. Once a year, the high priest would go in and offer on the Day of Atonement offerings for the sin of Israel. That was the priest's job. 
but they all, as Levites, have a common responsibility, and you see that in Deuteronomy 33.10. They shall teach Jacob your rules in Israel, your law. So it doesn't matter whether you were a priest or a minister. If you're a Levite, your job is to teach Israel God's ways. So you're, you have a practical duty, and then you have a spiritual duty of pointing people to Yahweh, to God. All right? They also, also had a common inheritance. Their common inheritance is seen in Numbers 18, 20 through 21. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land. Neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service. I feel like I have a typo there. They do. Their service in the tent of meeting. Interesting. The, all of Israel, all the other tribes get land. And land matters. That becomes your place forever. Your family just keeps passing it down. In fact, if you even went into debt, you're supposed to get that back in the year of Jubilee. You never, your family never loses that land, that place, that rootedness. Levites don't get that. The Levites, God says, it's okay. I am your portion and your inheritance. Now, we get to that, and that actually gets restated again in Numbers 18, uh, or in Deuteronomy 18, 1 through 2. If you've read Genesis through Deuteronomy, you know that that's pretty much the story leading up to the promised land. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt, they die in the wilderness because they rebel. The children of them go into the promised land, and that brings us to the book of Joshua, where I've been preaching through. And in Joshua chapters 13 through 19, that was probably everyone's most favorite sermon. This tribe got this land, this tribe got this land, this tribe got this land. It was exciting, wasn't it? But think about that. Six chapters of, Todd, you get this land, and your family is going to use this and split it up, and it shall be for you to be prosperous the rest of your life, in your children's lives and their children's lives. And Kevin, your family gets this land and this land, and, they, and their children get to have it forever. And Chuck, your family gets this land, and they get to have that forever. And they will be blessed and blessed and blessed. And three times through those chapters, it says to the Levites, you don't get anything. It doesn't say it that way. It says, you don't get land, you get me. He says to the Levites, I'm not going to give you what I'm giving them. You're going to serve me, and I will be your inheritance. I will be your portion. You mentioned it might be a little tough. It might be a little tough to be a Levite, you know? Um, if you're super spiritual, you're probably like, oh, I've got Jesus. Well, he would have said, i got Yahweh. I've got everything, right? Uh, on their bad days, it'd be like, this stinks, man. This stinks. I kind of know what it feels like myself, like moving around the Midwest. 
And I had that rootedness, that rootlessness. I didn't know where I belonged. So that leads us now up to chapter 21. We're now ready to jump into today's passage. You ready? <laughs> that was quite an introduction, right? So let's look at Joshua chapter 21. If you're not there, you can turn there. I will have most of the scripture up there on the overhead, but I'm going to read some of it for us. The first thing we're going to see in Joshua 21 is that the Levites now, after all that land had been divided, the Levites come to Joshua and they say this. It says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh, which is where they had the tabernacle at that moment, in the land of Canaan, the Lord, Yahweh, Lord right there, all caps, commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with pasture lands for our livestock. Now, it says there that the Lord commanded through Moses, and I didn't have time to go and show you, but multiple times in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, God told the Levites you will not get an inheritance of land, but you're going to be given a place to live at least. And these Levites come to Joshua and hold God to his word. You said through Moses, God said through Moses, that you'll provide for our needs. You'll provide for our needs. Just imagine, as a Levite, seeing all these, all these other tribes getting land, you can imagine, what are we going to do? And that's why they come to Joshua and say, God promised. I'm holding God to that promise. So how do we apply that to our own life? Here's the thing. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. He does. He hasn't necessarily promised you wealth and prosperity land that lives in your family forever, but he knows what you need. My mind, if it drifts, usually drifts into money. It drifts, drifts into how much is this thing going to cost? Will I have enough? Do I need to figure out what I need to change in order to make ends meet? Just be honest. That's where I struggle. My heart falls into either discontent or worry, somehow related around money. <laughs> Inevitably, though, almost always, in fact, I can't remember a time. I was trying to remember, like, God, did I ever just wallow there forever? God always seems to remind me, I'm going to provide for your needs, Paul. Haven't you seen me do that already? And I thank him, and I say, yes, all right, I don't know how it's going to work, but you're going to do that. He knows what I need, and he knows what you need. And I know there's not... There's some of you in this room that probably struggle in that same way that I do. I worry and I doubt. And I need to remember that my Heavenly Father knows what I need. And just like the Levites, you could hold God to his promise. He says in Philippians, my God shall supply all your needs. You can count on that. And you can count on when Jesus says, but God so clothes the grass of the field which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or how are we going to make that project work? 
What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Not encouraging to know. You may not have everything. You may not have the Joel Osteen life. (laughs) But your heavenly Father knows what you need. And like the Levites, he will provide for your every need. So then the chapter in chapter 21, in verses 3 through 8, that's what I'm actually going to read to you because I didn't want to put it up there, but I want you to listen because it's going to be a lot of information, a lot of data. So Joshua 21, verses 3 through 8. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron the priest received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, 13 cities. And the rest of the Kohathites received by the lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, 10 cities. And the Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan, 13 cities. The Mararites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Zebulun, 12 cities. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded through Moses. I want you to just notice, I've organized it into a nice little table to help you maybe visualize what I just read. This is why I gave you all that information about their family tree. Because Levi had three sons, and you see them, Kohath, the rest of the Kohathites, Gershon, and Merari. These two are divided up because Aaron came from Amram, and they were going to be the what? The priests. The rest are the other three divisions of the Levites, the ministers. And they one was given 13, 10, 13, 12. And it just shows how they're divided up across the different tribes. What I want you to notice, though, is it says in verse 3 that the people of Israel gave them these places to live out of their inheritance. Now that, my friends, is what you call sacrificial giving. It's sacrificial because, you see, if you lived in this agrarian world, having land and a place to put your animals on it correlated to your wealth and prosperity and your survival. And for you to give up a whole chunk, 48 chunks of your land to let a whole bunch of other people live there on your land which it still belonged to them. So when you hear that it gave them these cities out of their inheritance, it doesn't mean they said this now belongs to you to own. They're simply giving them a place to live. They can set up homes there, use the pasture, but it still belongs to those tribes. Because a couple months ago, we read about a guy named Caleb, who Caleb came and took specific cities that God had promised, and one of them was one of these cities. So that tells us that these gifts to the Levites are like the gift of use my resources, use my wealth, 
use my animals, my pasture, for you to live. That's really important to keep, to keep, keep in your mind. Sacrificial giving out of the people of Israel's inheritance, they gave to them. And what is this application for our life? How does this apply? Why does this matter to us? Here's how God provides. We saw in the first one that God will provide for the needs of his people. How does he do it? He does it through his people. God provides for his people through his people out of sacrificial giving. We're part of a, a body here who are called to care for each other and meet each other's needs. And this is just one of the key ways that God provides. It's through each other. And I have to say, every time I've seen a need rise up in this church, I have been blown away at how generous this church is. I mean, our Christmas offering this year blew the socks off. It was amazing. That's sacrificial giving. That's you living out this principle in God's word to meet the needs of his people through your own sacrifice. And it's also important to know that this is how God provides for pastors is out of the sacrificial giving of his people. Now, Matt and I both work separate jobs. Our needs are met. It's kind of arisen out of both a philosophy and a need because we're a small church. But it doesn't escape me that I have several friends that that's their only job is pastoring small churches. And they barely meet, have their, you know, have uh, meet their, what's the word? Make the ends meet. That's <laughs> getting the, but they, they have never gone hungry. God's people provide for their needs. Now, sometimes they don't do it so well. And that's shame on those churches, right? But the principle here that we see in scripture is that God uses his people to provide for his people. Let's look, move on, and I'm not going to read. Oh, yeah, let me just give you this principle from the New Testament. The same principle, what I'm saying, applies to us today in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Philippi. People in the city of Philippi would be called Philippians. He says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he's praising the church at Philippi. He said, even in Thessalonica, when he was in that city of Thessalonica, the city of Philippi sent help for my needs once and again. Just an example of how God provides for his ministers through his people. Okay, Joshua 21 moves on and has from 9 through 42 a lot of verses. Let me just read one so you get an idea of what all of those verses sound like. <laughs> uh, just one verse. Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the descendants of Aaron, one of the clans of the Kohathites who belonged to the people of Levi, since the lot fell to them first. They gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebrew. You get the picture. It does that for over 30 verses. That table that I showed you, it, what it does in those 30-some-ish verses is it lists out each of these city names under these tribes. 
And for us, it's like, wow, that is mind-numbing data. That's like reading this document that Gene, I don't see Gene, he was here earlier. He gave me a lovely document to read tonight. It's from Church Mutual, our insurance company. How many of you have ever read the policy documents you get sent every once in a while? I know somebody in the back does. He reads those carefully, very carefully. So I'm going to try to read ours too just to see if there's anything new we need to know about. That's how it sometimes feels when you read verses like these 30. But if you were part of Israel and you read these, it would mean something different to you because as you'd read each city name, you would visualize, it'd be like me doing this. And this tribe set up town, uh, set up home in Georgetown. And this tribe set up home in Alvin. Where did your mind go there? Most of you that are somewhat geographically aware, you went like this, didn't you? Oh, that's north of town. That's south of town. And then those Covington folks on the other side of the river, right? That's what the people of Israel, when they read those 30-some verses, would have started doing is building a map, seeing, oh, wow, these cities... These 48 cities are like distributed almost perfectly across all of Israel in just this evenly spaced out area. That's pretty amazing. And you'd be like, wait, wait, why is that amazing, Paul? I'm missing something. <laughs> well, first of all, let's ask the question of why they were scattered all across Israel. Scattered all across Israel. Ringing a bell yet? We read this verse in the curse. <laughs> I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. One, just one of the reasons why the Levites were scattered versus one big city is because God said he would. He said he would scatter them across the, the, na the nation of Israel. But there's a second reason, and we read this verse too. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. The reason that matters about the scattering is because if you've, can you imagine trying to walk, if you did not have a vehicle, to walk from here to the other side of Kickapoo, like the backside? Like, it's not going to be a fast trip, is it? Because you got all those strip mines now, and you're gonna, it's going to be quite a journey. Israel is very mountainous and ravines, and I've been there. It's not easy terrain to just drive from point A to point B. In fact, God had a central place in Israel where he wanted worship to happen, where the tabernacle would be set up, and eventually then the temple was kind of centralized in the, in the, the nation. However, you would only go there to offer sacrifices, and only so often— it would be quite an ordeal if you had to go every Saturday for Sabbath all the way there because you'd take the whole week just to get there. It doesn't make any sense. However, God in his providence spread his ministers who are called to teach across all the nation of Israel so that they could teach and it wouldn't be a burden to the people so that they could go here the law of God taught to them. God in his providence, he knows what he's doing. Isn't that amazing? And today, if you think about this, God provides not just for our physical needs, he provides for our spiritual needs through his ministers. 
That's what he does. It's so interesting to me how he has appointed pastors and, and ministers of the gospel all across the world. Now, there are spots that we need to get more to, right? But he knows, and he's on his mission to spread them out all over. And I'm so thankful for the many men in my life who have ministered to me in the many places I've lived. And I'm thankful to minister alongside my friend. I never imagined I'd be ministering to a friend from so long ago together, arm in arm. It's truly a joy, and I'm not making that up. I love this. But it's also humbling to me that this is the calling that God has given to us to help meet your spiritual needs because of this principle here. So my question for you then is, how should this, as we usually look and ask, how does this passage about these Levite cities, how does this point us to Jesus? Sometimes the way the Old Testament passages point us to Jesus come in different ways. Sometimes when I show you, it's like this clear word picture. Sometimes it's a, a thing that kind of points to something about Jesus. Sometimes in our lives, we see living examples of what it means to live like the Old Testament is showing these principles here. And this week, I've been reminded of a living example of what this passage shows. I don't know if I can, I'm going to try. Uh, Mrs. Miller was a living model of what I would call a Levite minister. Donna Miller was a teacher at First Baptist Christian School for over 30 years. She played the organ at First Baptist Church for over 30 years. Her and her husband taught in Christian schools for close to 40 years. Mrs. Miller was in discipling relationships with countless women for many, many years. And she and her husband gave their lives to ministering to people in the myriad of ways that they impacted lives. They're impossible to count. They impacted Matt's life and Charity's life and Audrea's life. I know she impacted Andrew's life. I know she impacted Todd's life. In our room alone, there are so many people she has impacted. And if you asked her what she wanted most out of life, well, another friend of ours yesterday stood up and said, she had literally said this. She said, all I want is to glorify God in my life and in my death. That's, she said, all I want is to glorify God in my life and in my death. It was amazing. And what's interesting to me is Mark and Donna Miller got nothing. They live in a little tiny home on the east side of Danville in a very bad area. That's all they've got. They've been living on Christian school salaries for decades in a tiny little house that when they finally get ready to sell that house, they're probably just going to make just a tiny bit. Because you know how houses sell in the East End, right? They've lived on very little income. And when Mark passes, they're not going to have a big inheritance to give to, to their children, to John and Lee and to Marcy. They've already given their inheritance. 
they've given out their portion that they've received and shown with their life. They've been sojourners. She was from Texas. And he was from, I can't remember, but they've lived in Georgia and Texas and Illinois. They had no roots. But they gave their lives because they knew that Jesus was their portion. He was their everything. And she fought cancer for the last three years and finally got to walk in and see Jesus on Sunday. The Lord himself her inheritance embraced her. That glory that's far greater than all the stuff we leave behind, she got to finally experience. And if you are in Christ today, did you know that you yourself are also a priest? You are a part of the kingdom of priests. And all of us are all called as ministers of the gospel to each other. If you've been united to Christ, let me read to you 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. See, that Levite priesthood was not intended to, come, to stay going on forever. Christ came and at the Last Supper changed it all. He changed it all. And now a new kingdom of priests came. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And just at the beginning of Peter's letter, he says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Not land, not money, not life insurance, not gold. An eternal inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, you, by God's power, are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage. This passage, like so many in the Old Testament, seem hard for us to understand what you would have for us. But I see in my own heart a reminder that you will provide for my every need. That you provide for our physical needs, my spiritual needs, and you do it through your people. And I praise you for your perfect plan. I praise you most of all for Jesus, who is our portion, who is our inheritance, who is kept in heaven for us, waiting for us, and will bring us home to be with him. God, we long for that day. Help us in the meantime to be ministers, Levite ministers, who encourage others, both physically and spiritually, by meeting their needs, ultimately pointing them to Jesus. May we be able to say, like Mrs. Miller, would you be glorified in our lives and in our deaths? In Jesus' name, amen.